Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Med Talk podcast. I'm here with Ian Bolland, my name is Reese Armstrong, and today we have our new editor for Medical Plastics News, Laura Hughes. That rhymed. <laughs> I give you a rhyming introduction. Laura, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. So you're joining as editor for Medical Plastics News. You've been here, what, two weeks now? Yeah, two weeks. How are you, how are you finding it? Yeah, it's good. Just getting my head around the new different editions. What's the what's it like getting used to the industry compared to your old job as, um, what, you a scientific writer? Um, yeah, I was, yeah, I was working in scientific publishing as managing a scientific journal. Um, it's slightly different. Um, it's more frequent issues. And obviously the constant online content, mm-hmm. and we're reacting a bit faster to the news here than we were in my previous job. Right. I guess, is the industry very sort of, I mean, medical plastics is especially niche, what's that like, um, compared to... You know. Yeah, well I was working in cardiology before, so it is slightly different. Yeah, it's just a little <laughs> different. <laughs> Alright, well, nice to have you on board, and uh, welcome to the fir- first podcast, um, obviously. Uh, I guess just to dive straight into the stories, Ian, you've been doing a little bit of work on... Um, the pages technology in the NHS for use of that. Um, you know, Hancock's had a lot of uh, things to say about all that technology. But uh, what's been going on in a, in the digital health world? Well, when Matt Hancock is not firefighting for the government about Brexit on on the airways and on the television, he's uh, trying to digitise the NHS even even more. Uh, fresh from banning the fax machines, he's now trying to phase out pager communications by twenty twenty one. Yeah, he does seem to be sort of like being a little bit sort of pushy with the uh, the old uh, let's get rid of all this technology and make way for the new. I mean, the I think the key elements that people have gripes with about uh, what Hancock is doing is it isn't the fact that he's announcing that there's going to be a phase out. They are questioning whether there's a a concrete strategy behind it, and mm. whether it's not just for the sake of headlines. But at the end of the day, Matt Hancock is a politician, and but I think people within the industry almost want the politics taken out of it and want to see something concrete. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the plan what involves all phases to be pa- uh, all phases all pages to be phased out by twenty twenty one. That's correct. Right? That's um, and we need to have plans in place as a for a replacement of technology. Yeah, I mean. A lot of um, a lot of companies have suggested that WhatsApp might be sorry, not companies. Um, there's been a lot of suggestions that WhatsApp might be uh, an adequate replacement. I remember an interview I did not so long ago that can be found online Digital Health Age about the relationship between uh, the University of Birmingham Hospital Trust mm-hmm. and BlackBerry. It was interesting that they actually said there will always be a need for uh, some kind of pager technology in the sense that there was always going to be a need for an instant response right. technology. I think it's he's going, he's going to have to be very careful to when it comes to working with companies that he want, he needs to establish a relationship where that instantaneous technology still exists while establishing better communication channels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I suppose it's um, he's also got to be careful about which company he chooses. Um, we know Hancock's had a little bit of unfavourable press in the past uh, in regard to his relationship with uh, Babylon Health. Yes. Um, 
so it's going to be interesting how he sort of tiptoes around the use of certain uh, companies. But so is it just um, is it just going to be mobile apps? Do you reckon uh, in in terms of sort of two way communication? Well, it's hard to say because I think this all feeds into the strategy point of view. I mean, I think we've got a clip coming up from. Uh, Remind me his name. Uh, Peter Lomax. <laughs> we've got a clip. So yes, we've got a clip coming up from Peter Lomax from Multitone where he suggests that the advice that uh, Matt Hancock may have received is probably a little on the dated side, and he's actually uh, he's openly offered in a way to explain the kind of technology that he was just being used in the NHS to replace this page of technology with a twenty first century edition, if you like. The NHS as a general is always looking for ways to innovate and move forward um, and I would make the uh, same offer to, to Matt Hancock and, and to Alan Mack that I've made to anyone and that is um, we'd be more than willing to share with them how these systems are being used in, in a day-to-day -day environment. I'm positive if he was actually to visit and see how a, a multi-tone iMessage solution was being deployed and used by the NHS on a daily basis, integrating seamlessly traditional technologies like paging with smart apps, he would very much see the vision that he's got in his mind to, to, to happen moving forward. And I don't see why we should um, be forcing um, uh, choices upon the NHS when um, they are more than able and equipped to make the right choices for themselves anyway. I understand the need to ban fax machines more. Yeah. than pages, but um, I've sort of written articles in the past looking at page pager technology um, um, and sort of like looking at why they're so robust um, in healthcare, you know, if Wi-Fi signals drop out, instant communication, you know, messaging services can't be used, um, and obviously the Wi-Fi infrastructure in the NHS isn't that strong to begin with in certain places. Yeah, that, that was a point that I think was brought up in the uh, interview I referenced mm -hmm. not so long ago. I mean, I recently we put a Q&A online with Jonathan Papworth, who's the co-founder and director of Person-Centered Software, and it was about mobile technology in the care home. And one of the things that we discussed was the difference between the, hosp the hospital and care home environment. Um, in one of the answers, that he suggested that the, the user interface would need to be designed differently to display information intuitively to healthcare professionals within a hospital environment. Right. So there is, I think a lot, a lot, of, a lot of the development is going to be around it's probably specific hospitals and their interfaces rather than it can't just be a blanket. So it can't just be a broad rollout. No, I think the entire uh, my, NHS. my reading of it is that it's going to have to be very carefully done. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a target there, but I think what is wanted by people in the industry is a coherent and detailed strategy. Right. Well, uh, during the government announcement, uh, Hancock said we, we do have to get the basics right, uh, like having computers that work and getting rid of archaic technology like pages and fax machines. Um, yeah, I, I think it's maybe the case that he sees this as like 30-year-old technology, which... Um, like, that sounds outdated, but in a hospital environment, it's it's worked. Yeah, I mean, as as I said before, the immediacy of pager technology, I think, is vital, especially especially in emergency departments. Yeah, oh, I wonder if there's an argument for just updating updating the technology and have have more modernized pager technology instead of um, instant messaging services, because like things like WhatsApp and stuff, even though they are encrypted, there's still the chance of there. Uh, patient information getting getting sent out to you know, a long group. How many times have you accidentally messaged your friend by accident? That all feeds into a strategy 
point of view, I think that I think everybody in the industry actually is crying out for. Yeah, definitely. Um, be interesting what he does though. It's um, he's got two years to get that sorted. Um, well, that, that actually didn't occur to me that twenty twenty one is only two years away. Yeah, so this, it this sounds is, like it's five years. Yeah, away. this is a quick turnaround if yeah. he, if, he, if he really wants to match the ambition. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, and I think that's a good word for Matt Hancock. Yeah, ambitious, especially in regards to te- technology. He's just like technology will work. Politician ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, besides that, we've been talking about toilet seats this week. <laughs> lots and lots of toilet talk. Lots of toilet talk, but in in a pretty good way. Not in the usual office um, office banner. You you had a little bit of a read of this earlier, didn't you, uh, Laura? Yeah, very innovative. I think it's a good idea. It's a really good idea. Um, so what it is? Uh, actually, Ian, do you want to um, bring us through this a little bit? A smart toilet to detect congestive heart failure. Yeah, so it's um, a cardiovascular monitoring system. And it's been developed by a team of uh, researchers at Rochester in Institute of Technology. And it hopes to lower the hospital readmission rate of patients with um, congestive heart failure. Um, we've been like, I know, I know what, sort of like the time I've been working here, we've spoken about how like toilets can have inbuilt sensors um, to sort of like monitor, obviously urine and feces to, to monitor people's health. And um, this seems to be the first thing that I've actually seen sort of like developed to do that. I mean, I find it, I'm just going to read from a paragraph of something that I read about this. These toilet seats have built-in sensors to monitor heart rate, blood pressure, blood oxygenation levels, and the patient's weight and stroke volume, the amount of blood pumped at each beat. Mm-hmm. One thing that occurred to me, and apologies if I'm a bit childish about this, but what if you're desperate? What if you're desperate and your heart rate's through the roof after making a run for it? Well, run for it. Have you not heard that expression before? No, no, I, no I have, but like, it's, I think it's been a long time since I've ever been in that situation. Well, fair enough, then. You can't have as many curries as me. Yeah, I'm, fair, I'm controlled. I'm quite a <laughs> quite timely person. How does the toilet seat let you know that you need to seek expert help? Um, I'm not sure. That's, that's a good question. That is a good question. Maybe he talks to you. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, get off and go to the hospital. <laughs> um, and no. do you think it measures averages? So then, that situation you talked about, Ian... What, it so would, it would like um, measure averages rather than like a one-off. It would like a spike, yeah. yeah I don't rec- know. Recognise the anomaly, yeah. It hopes. I, I assume all that information is going to be fed back to an app or, you know, like a, da- a database somewhere, which a team of researchers can then look at. You know, a team of clini- cl- clinicians might... Because um, this is readmission rates, right? So they already understand that patients have been sent out of hospital yeah. with congestive heart failure. Yeah. And um, I think one of the researchers... Um, at Rochester was seen typically within 30 days of hospital discharge which is um, a poor choice of words <laughs> um, 25% of patients with uh, heart failure um, are readmitted so I guess it, it, it was just a way to um, reduce all of that yeah. um, but it's good um, I do think like as technology becomes more and more widespread in the use of a home that these type of like healthcare solutions will be integrated into just everyday ways of living. It won't just be the case of having, you, you know, the hospital be a part of an outside experience. It will be sort of incorporated into everyday life, sort of holistically. I mean, to follow up on my childish point, it's something rather more serious. The fact is, when you sat there, you're going to be measured your, your resting heart rate, surely. So mm-hmm. it would be a case of any kind of 
if your heart's beating too quickly, if your blood pressure's on the high side, even if that, as to quote myself, made a room for it beforehand, it should. Should recognise it. It should, re- should recognise the fact yeah. that even when resting, you probably got too much of a your heart rate's too quick mm-hmm. or your blood pressure's too high. Yeah, and I assume if it, if it can see that's lowering as well, then we'll see that um, it's dropped quite slightly. But these are um, the toilet seats are equipped to measure electrical and mechanical activity of the heart and can monitor heart rate, blood pressure, blood oxygenation levels, the patient's weight and stroke volume, which is also a poor choice of words, and um, the amount of blood pumped out of the heart at every beat. So it's a pretty fancy toilet seat. How much do they cost? Um, do these cost more than the readmission rates? That's a, that's a, that's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> they sound very jazzy toilet do, seats. Yeah, they sound really jazzy. Type of thing that you wouldn't like, you'd expect out of Japan. But if they're given to everyone, everyone I mean, not. that's expensive, isn't it? Well, I can't yeah. imagine this being available on the NHS. Anytime, there, there goes so. the NHS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what brought it down? Toilet seats. <laughs> Here's a little stat. It says the um, penalty loan for readmitting just 150 patients with uh, congestive heart failure is half a million every year. The total cost of providing 150 patients with their own specially made modern toilet suits is 200,000 so yeah they're it's in cost the, effective yeah they're in the black nice one guys <laughs> <laughs> would you have one? Um, I can't see any disadvantage of having one mm. at home it's like it's not an extra effort is it? no oh, okay. it fits into your everyday life yeah I mean unless it was like a really bulky top toilet seat <laughs> it, I've seen the picture though and it looks um, it looks, it looks like okay. a normal toilet seat yeah yeah I mean, maybe some people will feel a little bit violated, but... I think, especially in a family home, I don't know what happens then. Because everyone's measurements be... Yeah, it wouldn't be individualised, would it? Surely there'd be some kind of software that can distinguish. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean there must be some kind of programming that actually suggests more than one person uses this toilet on a regular basis. Yeah, and it, it recognises the patient's weight, so I suppose you start, you start from there. That's a good question. What if you're on a crash diet? Yeah. And then, like... It doesn't think it's you. Maybe. I don't know. It's got to be... Yeah, I mean, I assume these people are pretty smart. Right? <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of questions about yeah. a fascinating piece of technology. I do like how we're trying to work this out when there's a team of scientists who've developed this who've probably thought of every possible outcome and we're like, no, we can get this. <laughs> we can sort this out for them. Imagine if they listen to this, though, and they just think, didn't think of that. <laughs> um... Right, uh, yeah, uh, just last little bit on that. Uh, it says algorithms analyse the data. Um, and it's hoped that with a little bit of further development, um, it will alert advanced practice providers. So I assume that just means clinicians mm-hmm. um, of a deteriorating condition. condition, And then a report will be passed on to a cardiologist um, to determine if intervention is necessary. So the technology itself isn't new, it's just a really novel way of doing it. Yeah, it's it. just a way of using it. It's just a way of connecting clinicians with a patient in a, diff- in a, in a, a niche manner, I suppose. Fascinating and an almost hilarious way of doing it. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it's, it's really brilliant. clever. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because remembering to take medication is quite hard, mm-hmm. whereas I like, imagine remembering to measure things would be difficult. Yeah. Just sitting on the toilet, having it measured, it's fine. Just having it measured. <laughs> Alright, cool. Um, I've uh, well, I've, I've had a long weekend, so I've sort of took it easy today, and I've been playing video games. Um, at work. Um, oh really? Yeah, yeah it's, it's been swell. 
Um, it's been a long time since I've played a video game, so maybe you should send this one to me just so I can get back into it. it, it? Well, it's called Crisis Point, a deer in accident and emergency. And if you open that up on your laptop, you can see what it is. Um, I've got a link here, uh, Ian. Just type in Crisis Point, accident and emergency. It should be under Old Bird and Kemp, who is a law firm who've developed this uh, sort of interactive video game. Okay. And what it's designed to do, it's designed to sort of show awareness of like the everyday pressures that staff in A and E face. So this is an educational tool. Yeah, it's an educational like tool. Fun tool. Yeah. Although I was playing it, it's not that. It is really well designed, but it's um, slightly harrowing in some of the situations you go through. Um, but yeah, if you just if you just crack on there, Ian, um, you can see how it works. And you've had a look at this as well, Laura, didn't you? Yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah, it is really, um, I think it's good to show how much pressure a &E services are under, uh, sort of, every day. Um, but you just, can you just uh, angle that screen a little bit, Ian? Yeah, am I ready to face a, a, a crisis point? Shall I click on ready? Yeah, I mean, are, are you ready? <laughs> as ready as I'll ever be while recording the podcast. Yeah, but it was, um, so it was created by a law firm, Bolton Bird and Kemp, uh, just to sort of, uh, sort of stimulate the, the issues faced, and you make sort of multiple choices between sort of how to handle patients and your department is based on um, a few crisis levels and you've got to sort of keep it in, in the green um, so it doesn't become under too much pressure. But as I was going, um, that became harder and harder to do and I think by the time I finished I was in crisis level two, <laughs> um, which I don't know if that says more of the game or more about me. Um, but I'm hoping it was just a few difficult decisions. So what you're doing there, Ian, you are taking somebody through an ear infection. Nice. It looks like it. Um, so I tell her she'll be seen faster with the walking centre or tell her that other patients have been here longer. There's no, no really right answer here for the patient, is there? I no. think the walking centre because oh. that's like providing a solution to the patient, whereas the other one could be a bit rude. Right. I mean, she's a little bit disgruntled there, that patient, but I guess she's got some proper healthcare advice. And let's relieve some of the strain on her knee, apparently. Brilliant. So. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> right, yeah, so it takes you through sort of their uh, different different members of the staff. So now you're playing as Mark, a staff nurse. I think by the time I finished, I was doing some work as a paramedic, which I've never done in my life, but I thought I did all right. Did you get a uniform with that? Yeah. Mm. It definitely makes you realise there's no right answer, is there? Yeah, definitely. As I was, like, I felt like I made the wrong choice every time. Um, so it was really tough. And obviously, I've got no idea what staff are undergoing. Like, this is not designed to, to, to make you think you could handle I mean, it, but... Um, I mean, for this scenario here, I mean, I won't read out the entire thing, mm. but it, it gives you two options of follow the patient just in case the consultant needs help or move on to your other patients. There's no right answer there, it's purely from a conscious point of view, but from a pressure point of view, it's probably move on to your other patients just to try and clear the backlog. Yeah, I mean, that's what's up, that's for a person with a urinary tract infection, so it's not like... I mean, they can develop into sort of like worse things, but it doesn't it's not like they're about to die. That sounds really bad. But <laughs> 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 they're, they're, not, they're not about to die. It's fine. Yeah, but it makes you glad that you're not you're not the healthcare yeah, yeah, professional. Definitely. Yeah, you can sort of see what from an educational point of view, and it gives you that viewpoint of being in a hospital and having to deal with this really difficult yeah, decision on a, on a okay. consistent basis as well. Yeah. Okay. You are you're not there. This is a very much a virtual scenario, but at least you have some sense of what 
what what's going on. What's what's going on? Yeah. The kind of pressure that they're under. Yeah, the description's really detailed as well. Um, so hopefully later on down the line there was uh, a few cases which I just had no idea what to do. I mean, should we give the listener this scenario? Yeah, quite, yeah, this is quite short, Gormit. You've been asked to administer antibiotics to a 69-year-old man with pneumonia who could get rapidly worse if not treated properly, as well as a 16-year-old girl with a skin infection that is resistant to over-the-counter antibiotics and will need an IV trip. Who do you treat first? Did you do this bit? No, I didn't, no, I didn't oh, do this one. I think... I would probably go for the old man. I think I, that, that's what I did. Yeah, well, that's all three of us agreed. Yeah, you you're able to administer antibiotics before your patient gets any worse. You're able to treat and discharge a 16-year-old girl before she breaches the four-hour target. Perfect. I think that's, I think that's the best choice there. That, that's probably one of the easier ones, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, it's a bit more straight. I mean, pneumonia, 69-year-old man. But say if it was pneumonia and then a kid that you thought had sepsis or something. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you can, um, if you're interested in that, you can check it out um, from Bolt, Burden, Kemp. Mm-hmm. Uh, the law firm. I don't know why they have done that themselves. If it, I think it might have just been part of an awareness campaign, but really good job. Yeah, yeah I've definitely. I haven't. I can't say I've had fun doing it, but I've, uh, I've, been, I've enjoyed looking at it uh, yeah. today. I might spend the rest of my working day on this. I wonder. Well, right. So we're far off. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>